You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 576. Filmmaking is the answer. Who cares about the question? Anonymous. Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Today's show is sponsored by Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, how to turn your independent film into a profitable business. It's harder today than ever before for independent filmmakers to make money with their films, from predatory film distributors ripping them off to huckster film aggregators who prey upon them. The odds are stacked against the indie filmmaker. The old distribution model of making money with your film is broken and there needs to be a change. The future of independent filmmaking is the entrepreneurial filmmaker or the film entrepreneur. In Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, I break down how to actually make money with your film projects and show you how to turn your indie film into a profitable business. With case studies examining successes and failures, this book shows you the step-by-step method to turn your passion into a profitable career. If you're making a feature film, series, or any other kind of video content, the Film Entrepreneur method will set you up for success. The book is available in paperback, ebook, and of course, audiobook. If you want to order it, just head over to www.filmbizbook.com. That's filmbizbook.com. Now, before I start, I wanted to give you guys an update on the giveaway of the Creative Hustler uh, NFT that I talked about last week. I will announce it next Tuesday. This week, I'm going to give one more week for people to sign up. All you've got to do is go to IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash free and sign up for one of our free masterclasses. And we will be choosing from a random person from one of those signups. So again, just head over to IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash free. Now, today on the show, guys, we have a a very entertaining episode We have on the show the film directing team, the Daniels, the masterminds behind the indie classic Swiss Army Man and the new classic independent film, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Now, I had the pleasure of watching this film, and I have to tell you, it is one of the most insane films I have ever seen in my life. And I say that with all my love because it is amazing. Absolutely love the film. And the Daniels have been responsible for not only two amazing independent films, but their music video work, like Bring Down the What and and so many others, have been really some of the best music videos of the past decade. And I sat down with the Daniels and we talked shop about how they got started, how they jumped from music videos to feature films, how in God's green earth do they get financing for these films, which on paper makes no sense why anybody would, but they do it and I'm so glad they do because their films are fantastic. And this is by far one of the more entertaining conversations I've had on the show for a while. So without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with the Daniels. I'd like to welcome to the show the Daniels, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinhart. How you doing, guys? Good. Thank you for having us. Pretty good. Hello. Hey, 
good. Guys, thank you so much for coming on the show. I am, I am a fan of what you guys do. You guys are insane. And I love that about you. It's, 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 it's such a wonderful thing to see the work that you guys have been doing over the years. That's uh, the only word I can use is insane, but in the <laughs> one, the most wonderful way humanly possible. So when you guys got into the feature game, I was so excited uh, to oh, see wow. like Swiss Thank army, you. man. Uh, Miranda Bailey was Thank just you. on the show a few weeks ago. Oh, cool. So, yeah. And she was like telling me the whole story about Swiss Army Man. I'm like, how the hell? What the hell? How is that? How did that get financed? What <laughs> happened? Yeah, she's it's like, her it's, fault. Your it's her fault. Exactly. She yeah. told me the whole she told me the whole story and is it, it was fascinating. But before we go down that road, how did you and why did you guys want to get into this insanity that is the film industry? Mm. Mm. Uh my I just did whatever my brother did as a kid. <laughs> Uh, so like he did like math team. So I did math team and then like he and his friends started making movies. And so I started making movies, uh, right. with, with my friends in high school, but, but there's, that's a very different thing than the industry, you know? And, uh, it's interesting. Like I did a lot of theater as a kid. And then the older I got the more, I was like, oh, I don't actually want to be an actor. That industry seems not for me, you know? And, and the film industry is you know there's a lot there's a lot of warts there's a lot of problems and things but like you get to like especially as a writer and director on your own terms collaborate with friends and tell stories you know like uh it was the funnest thing i'd ever done i was i just got hooked and uh and we're so lucky that our careers we we still get to do it in a way that's pretty similar you know mm -hmm. to like the the high school college version of making movies with your friends oh, there's no, you know? no no question yeah <laughs> Um, for for me, I um, I'm like the in, in the hero's journey. They talk about the refusal to the call. You know, you, you run away from the thing, and mm. I, I feel like I, I've been running away from your from, biopics. Can be more interesting than mine. I guess so. Yeah, because yeah. because I get yeah yeah because you refuse the call. Exactly, the setup is so much better. Mm. Um, but I <clears throat> I grew up really disempowered for some reason, and I don't know where it it comes from like I did not believe in myself I didn't believe that I had worth and and yet people would tell me like oh you're pretty good at this or you're pretty good at that and I wouldn't believe it and I just kind of run away from all of it especially coming from my mother you know my mother would be like you're a good storyteller why don't you write some more and I was like no mom you don't that's like that's stupid that's a waste of time that's not going to help me get into college you know I was a very nervous person uh, had a lot of anxiety and so everything was about what was the most practical route forward and i was miserable because of it because i wasn't how I, I i my brain you know wasn't built for practical it was built for you know wild insane <laughs> storytelling and uh <clears throat> apparently my mom when i was younger um met a christian like a fundamentalist christian um fortune teller um for lack of a better word and she saw me apparently this this um this soothsayer and See, great bio exactly it's oh, so man. wild it's, it's so just wild. fascinating it's just fascinating I, no I fair know. but she 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 said to my mom your son i was in like uh third grade and she's like your son is going to be a great storyteller one day maybe even a filmmaker and he's going to spread the word of god <laughs> and uh my mom never told me this story until much later, until like I'm as an adult, she's told me now, but now I understand why she was pushing me to go to film school, which is so funny. Anyone who is a Asian American kid who is the kid of like the, the son or daughter of immigrants will understand how profoundly strange that is to have a, yeah, to have a Chinese mother say, son, 
don't go to business school like go you to want, film school. go to film school mm-hmm. and so i i did what um you know all children do and uh, i ignored my mom and i went to business school <laughs> so again I, I was like fuck that i don't want to do that uh, uh, sorry i don't know if we're allowed to swear on this um it's fine it's fine Fart that. Fart that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to go. I, I don't want to risk my my life. I don't want to be a miserable, starving artist. I'm going to go to business school, and I was miserable. I was. I was. I hated every minute of of that experience, and I was like, well, maybe I should go to film school. <laughs> maybe I should try this out. And 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 so and it's even when I went to film school, I didn't want to be a director because I looked around. And I was like. I'm not a director. I don't know how to talk to people. I don't know how to uh, command a hundred people in a crew. And so I, I was like, I'm going to become an animator. I'm going to learn how to animate and just make things on my computer by myself. And that's where I met this guy. Mm-hmm. And, and this, the experience of meeting Daniel Shiner has been one in which every single time I feel like I don't belong in this industry, kind of like going back to your question of like, how do we get into this crazy industry? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Um, anytime either of us felt like we didn't belong or the way that we worked and processed um, our arts felt incongruous with, with how the industry worked, um, Shiner being such a um, contrarian would be like, so what? Let's do it anyways. And I think it was one of the biggest, most um, satisfying lessons I've learned over and over again with every project is like, oh, the way things are aren't aren't exactly how they have to be. And in fact, we can find better ways to suit ourselves. And I think if more film students learned that, like that they can build a film process suited to their specific style, just like every painter has a different process. Every poet has a different process. Like growing up, you you, you learned about all the auteurs in film school. Um, and I didn't see myself in any of their work, you know? And so, um, oh, sorry. Yeah, we have a it's all good it's all good we have a dog in the background um it's all, it, it happens it's all good and so anyways yeah it was it was a series of accidents and we have slowly built a career around this project of trying to figure out how can we be ambitious um filmmakers who make great work that we're proud of while still staying grounded and human and not not be assholes i think that's one of the things that um, for some reason, our industry has really built up this, this idea that, like, in order to make great stuff, you have to be a a a, a really mean per- person. Mm-hmm. But um, in order to have a good biopic, I think we might have to turn yes. me, turn me into the villain for the second half of yeah. our careers, and I'll oh, I'll, yeah. I'll be like the manager of Brian Wilson. Or, 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 yeah, that sounds good. You know, <laughs> from Love and Mercy, I'll yeah. be Paul Giamatti, like taking advantage of you. <laughs> You're like you should take more drugs, more yeah. ADHD drugs. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That helps you. That helps. That helps right. with your creative process. Absolutely. Right. No, it would, be, it would be the equivalent of my Cuban parents going, "Go be a filmmaker." Yeah, go ahead. Because when I told right. when I when I told my parents I wanted to be a filmmaker, my mom's like, "Okay, let's do it." And my dad's like, "What? What? What do you? What? Yeah. What is that? What is that?" And I'm like, "I could be a PA. I can make a hundred dollars a day." That was that was my pitch to him to be in the I film love industry. it. It's so practical. Yeah. It's, like, it's wow. you know how to appeal to a, an immigrant father. I can make a hundred bucks a day, Dad. Come on, hundred dollars <laughs> cash a day. That was as far as my vision of my career had gone. From I that love point. it. <laughs> yeah. 
Now you guys, you guys obviously got got started with shorts and and uh, and then made a made your bones in music videos. Uh, by the way, some of the music videos, some of the most interesting music videos of the last decade have been directed by you guys. Um, you. And I'm not just smoking, uh, you know, smoking, smoking, smoking our butt. Is that the phrase? <laughs> look, I'm not smoking your butt, blowing smoke up your butts. Because I'm I came up like I came up in the '90s with Fincher and and mm. Romanek and all these amazing uh, film. So I love music videos, especially yeah. In the '90s, late '80s, early '90s is when the form really took, took you know they took it to other places. Oh, so when right. I saw what you like, you know, turn down the what, I was just like, what is this? <laughs> this is, I mean, just the clocking of the gun cocking as she sits on his face is a level of brilliance I have not seen quite, very often in music videos. So thank you, sirs. Thank you. Um, that was our that was our creative peak. Yeah, that, 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 that sound effect was our that Sinitha. sound effect. <laughs> Sit on your butt, his face. It was yeah. just such a beautiful thing. It's such a small thing, and only I like everybody else might have seen other things, but when I saw that, I'm like, they're filmmakers. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and that is to our audience. That's where the metaphor or the the mm. the term "smoking your ass" came from. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> smoking the butt. Smoking, smoking the butt. Smoking the butt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so you guys did some amazing work in in music videos. What lessons did you bring from your music videos experiences into the future world, which are obviously mm -hmm. two different? Though I could argue to say that Swiss Army Man and and your current film both are just really long music videos in the sense yeah. of the visuals are just insane. And, and like the insane. fact that like there's music nonstop. Like <laughs> we we rely on music yeah. a lot in our work. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, we learned a ton. Uh, obviously, like some some uh incredible music video directors do kind of like non-narrative aesthetic tone poems and we always did like short films we always like tricked a band into paying for our short films you know like they were very narratively driven so we we kind of were honing our voice as writers uh while doing music videos and and that made the transition a little like more uh organic i guess you know because we were like Oh, we're um, our, you know, a lot, a lot of videos have like a beginning, middle, and end. Turned out for what doesn't have much character development, but you know, there's a little bit of a no, linear I'd, story. I'd argue, you know, I'd argue to say there's a lot of character development. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah no, thank you so much. Don't you see the world right bends around the protagonist. The protagonist right. stays is the constant, and the mm -hmm. world is what's. If you developing. don't turn down, everyone exactly. else turns up. Exactly. Um, mm -hmm. but to, to piggyback on what he's saying, like um. We didn't think of ourselves as writers. Like I did again, I didn't even think of myself as a director at the time we first got hired for the first or a dancer. Or a dancer. Yeah, there's so many yeah. things that I we did not consider. He's the star of turned down for what? That's him. Yes. Yeah. In case you didn't know. It's, it's um, fantastic. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. But but so we we treated every project um as as film school in some ways to be like, hey, we've never worked with a DP before. What's that like? Let's let's bring a DP on for this one. Mm -hmm. Or oh, you know, what is what is the production design team supposed to be? Um, and what's that what's that relationship supposed to be like? Let's mm -hmm. let's bring on a production designer. And every project we just built our, our family out and started adding more and more people and learning new skills. Um, you know, we were like, I've always wanted to play with motion control um, camera uh, rigs. And so we did that for um, a battles music video. Uh, we've always wanted to do. We started stunts. out doing a lot more like visual effects. Yeah. And then we slowly learned more and more practical effects gags. Yeah. Like, uh, be like, oh, that's so much more fun when you can actually like 
mm-hmm. blow up an air mortar, have a breakaway prop. Right. Um, and then like we wanted to play more with stunts and just see what that was like. So we did a Foster People video about uh, car chase uh, and we learned that we hate shooting car chases, you know? And so every every project was, was like a selfish um, way for us to learn something new. And then by the time we were ready to do features, like we had accrued a team with a very specific um, skill sets that, you know, really supported our process. Mm-hmm. And we felt like we were ready. The only thing that was really hard, I'd say, I'd say the hardest part of the transition was the um, timeframes of, of music videos versus features, you know, music videos, you, you prep, pitch, write, shoot, edit, and release within a month. Uh, with features, it you know it takes you a year just to write like the first draft sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a, that was a real struggle to like slow down and step back and say no to everything and basically turn off the the faucet that we had um of of work coming in um because we were at the peak of our of our music video careers and we had to step away from that and say you know what i've always we've always wanted to be filmmakers who did features and narrative and um that was probably the hardest part and and i see a lot of uh contemporaries um who are in the music video industry who never did that never had the um I don't want to say discipline or self-control. It's, it's more just we had each other to keep each other accountable. So we right. we were the ones who were able to say, hey, should we pull back? And mm-hmm. we had someone to, who would, who basically um, was there to keep us accountable and not get tempted to get pulled back into mm-hmm. the whirlwind that is music video. And we got yeah. lucky. You know, we know friends that do turn off the faucet and write a screenplay and can't get it made. Yes, it's, um, it's hard. It's, a, it's, it's hard a weird out there. world, but yeah. Uh, yeah, we learned a lot. We still use all the same tricks and work with all the same crew. Right. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing is once you once you find people that you can work with, you hold on to them for dear life because it's yes. you know it's, it, there's a comfort level there. You could you could just look at them and they know exactly what you want. Or they they know what you want before you know what you want. Yes. So like you walk yes. in, you're like perfect. Yes. This right. is exactly the aesthetic I want. Yeah. Hot but now dog, that we're famous, hot dog we're gonna, fingers. Now <laughs> we're now we're gonna like uh, quit working with them. All those losers. obviously, right? Yeah. That's obviously, yeah. obviously, that's what you do. You let you leave them alone, and you go. You get mm. high Oscar winners. Just high Oscar winners all yes, around. Yes, this is the uh, this is the industry way. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Now, I so you guys have done some insane projects. What is your writing process like? Were you two working together? Because I write, but I write by alone. I've never written with somebody else. So, mm. how do you guys go back and forth with the writing process? Mm. Yeah, it was a real. That was a real learning. Pro- like that was that was a lot of growing pains in that like leap from music videos to to screenwriting because neither of us thought of ourselves as writers. Um, but when you're a music video director, you're constantly having to write new ideas. And so our process for music videos was actually pretty organically formed from the fact that we just had to be constantly pitching. Like we we put out two or three pitches a week to different songs, and we get rejected ninety percent of the time. But that really like ex- like exercised a part of our our collective um, muscles where we were basically throwing ideas back and forth, back and forth, back and forth until someone laughed or someone gasped or someone emoted. And they were like, okay, what is that? Why, what, like, let's, let's latch onto that. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And then we would start to throw ideas back and forth until they became these snowballs that kind of kept attaching more and more um, conceptual ideas, narrative ideas, um, uh, visual ideas. And, and, and like we would start putting on different 
uh, visual references that we'd pull up from YouTube or Vimeo, mm -hmm. and we would never write anything down. It would all just be in our heads and just be ping-ponging back and forth for a couple weeks, you know, without writing anything down, just seeing what stuck. And then finally, when it came time to pitch, we just write it all down and send it out, um, which is great for music videos because you have to have that speed. Once we transitioned to features, that became really hard to do, to, to ping pong the feature back and forth without <laughs> writing it down, without, you know. Um, so what is our process now? I feel like it keeps changing. I feel like it changes on every project and that, yeah. and that might be the lesson, you know, is that like we're constantly, it's almost like a weird therapy exercise. Uh, and if you do the exact same thing each time, you're not going to like make discoveries. You're just going to like kind of create, figure out a pattern of how to make a similar but not as good mm -hmm. thing because it's not as uh, like authentic and heartfelt. And, but we still uh, bounce ideas off each other a lot. Um, we spend a lot of time apart and we're each other's biggest fan and also like biggest like critic uh, because we've built kind of a common vocabulary and a trust of each other's thoughts. So it's a lot of like time apart and coming back and being like, I have this thought, it really resonates with me. Um, I, I do, I write very poorly by myself. And so like, sometimes I'm hungry to be like, Dan, hang out with me. I want to throw ideas out. Uh, <laughs> right, sometimes Daniel, Daniel Shiner comes from like an improv background. So everything about that world is about I'm interactions like, and collaborative. And yeah, I'm, I'm sure. sort of an extrovert who feeds off other people's energy. And then Quan is like introvert, extrovert. And so like every once in a while, he just disappears and is like, nope, leave me alone. I'm, I'm writing, you know, and he'll come back with like, really great stuff but sometimes you know the great stuff is uh five times longer than we agreed it was going to be and, and then <laughs> we're back to the time, drawing man. board of like yeah. how do we do we keep it all which parts do we keep you know yeah. and then it's an editing process and first, it's just a lot of the, trial and error yeah so with our first draft for everything everywhere um we spent a long time outlining together throwing things back and forth the ways that we um have been talking about and then shannon went off to do um his other movie death of dick long which and is then, not a porn yeah not porn it's a <laughs> respectable great um, great name for porn, movie though. exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. misleading i understand um but uh <laughs> um i wrote the first draft while he was gone shooting that movie and it came back and it was like 240 pages you know so it's it's i i'm definitely um, I have ADHD, I, I realized um, while writing this movie. And, and I think because of that, I'm definitely very generative. I, I'm just constantly writing, constantly. I have notebooks that are always open. I have like five different, I, I, I write stuff on my phone, on my notebook, on my laptop, on my, you know, I just need to be writing constantly on, on things. Otherwise, um, my brain will explode. I just need to like let them out. And so I, I, I hand a lot of that over to Shiner and then Shiner just like points at things that are working and points at and like tries to help form it into something that like makes um, both of us excited. Um, so it's, it's so far it's, it's been um, or like scares the producers less. Right. Exactly. That's also, or that's like, also true. Uh, like I'm, I'm very ambitious and Shiner <laughs> is very practical minded. And so I think the, uh -huh. the combination of our brains has been very, um, has been very good. You yeah. know, it's just, it's so funny when I had Miranda on the show and everyone listening, you got to listen to Miranda, the producer of Swiss Iron Man, uh, the stories that about how that movie got made. Cause I was fascinated. I'm like, how in God's green earth did anybody put money up for this film? Like in what world does this movie exist? Apparently yeah. this, yeah. this, in this universe, it exists and others, it might not, but in this universe mm -hmm. it exists. <laughs> and I, and she said that she said like, she talked to, I think somebody in her company and they like, she read, they're like, we're not going to make this right. We're not going to make <laughs> the movie about the farting with the dick and the, the dead are you, really and like, she's like no we're 
we're really gonna make you gotta you guys gotta listen to that interview it's fantastic cool. it's so yeah. fantastic so no, i remember did, that pitch yeah yeah no you know, yeah it was like how did you how did you come up with the idea it's it's such a insane idea mm-hmm. how did you come up with it and how in god's green earth do you pitch that in a room <laughs> which one swiss army man yeah, yeah swiss army man yeah uh the idea started uh we're, we're the, the same way like all our music videos started it was kind of like an an image or a gag or a little scene that like made us laugh and it was just the opening scene of a guy initially the idea was like feeding a corpse beans um like it's fuel uh and then writing its farts off a deserted island to freedom but um, it was like very beautiful and like it was very it's amazing yeah and, 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 and the, we were like that would be a funny like the the music commercial, that i was, I was know, right yeah the music i was listening to was um ben zeitlin you know who did beast of the southern wild his short film that he did before that um was called glory at sea i don't know if you guys have seen it but it, it's fantastic it's the best um ambitious indie film um made on with no money and it, it, like it was, it was such an aspirational thing for us to watch in college but the score is incredible and ben you know um worked on the score but i was listening to that score while we were on an airplane and um just imagining the beauty and the catharsis of a man riding off on a farting corpse was like making me laugh um but i, I will say that like a lot of our stuff as wild as it is comes from a very practical place because mm-hmm. um you know you you mentioned in the 90s the great music videos like fincher and romanek and spike jones and michelle gondry mm-hmm. no they had big budgets you know five hundred thousand oh, dollars millions dollars ten million dollars you know millions when we were when we by the time uh we got into the music video industry you know napster and streaming had um decimated the industry so that you know we were working with ten thousand dollars you know you know mm-hmm. most of the time ten twenty thousand dollars whatever so we got to we we got stuck in this really um, interesting mode of of filmmaking, which was very practical and and based off of problem solving. So like, we happened to be flying to Alabama to visit his family and do sort of a mini writers retreat for another uh, movie we thought we were going to write, and um, we were asking ourselves, what resources do we have there? Because um, well, we should shoot something while we're there. That'd be fun. And they live on a lake in Alabama, and yeah. their neighbors had a boat. And so we were like, maybe we could do a weird gag with a boat. And I was like, okay, there's two of us. So, okay, so a, a short little thing with two people on the water. What could that be? And, and, and that's where this idea came from. And I think like a lot of our work is kind of um, coming from very practical, um, like uh, problem solving. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so, yeah, so that's where it came from. I pitched it to him. And Shiner was like, that's amazing. We have to make it. And I immediately regretted pitching it to him because I was like, I don't want to make that though. You know, like I don't want to show that to my parents, Exactly. The so. person, the person at Miranda's company who said, We're not really going to make that. It's like, oh yeah, that's that was what I was saying too. It's not, yeah, they weren't they weren't crazy for, for thinking that. Um <laughs> and then it just the idea just kept grew. It, it really was like a cancer in my brain and, and our both our, our collective brains. It just mm-hmm. kept growing and more ideas kept latching onto it. And then it became a long short film about like the amnesia, the like the amnesia corpse trying to figure out what happened to it and learn about life. And then that short film got bigger and bigger. And we were like, maybe it's a feature that would be hilarious. Like, and almost as like a joke, we started fleshing out the feature and then. Well, actually, no, as a joke, we pitched it to a, in a general meeting, we were actually speaking of industry. Uh, so we were getting, we were getting passed around uh, Hollywood doing general meetings and we kept pitching our joke ideas because we didn't have any ideas that we thought would appeal to most studio heads or to any producers. And one day we decided to pitch this movie 
to a producer almost as a joke and he leaned and he was forward. like do you really want to make that yeah and we were like yeah and he's like why haven't you written it and he's and we were like oh because we don't think it would get made and he's like you if you believe in it you should make that no one else no one else is ever going to make that movie <laughs> and like this is not true <laughs> and it was like yeah. a it was a good kick in the ass yeah so yeah that that was uh lawrence ingley one of the producers on our, our on that film was mm-hmm. the one who, who kind of like to miranda yeah he kind of like pressed the button to to turn turn that part of our brain on and say go do it why not um yeah but i have to, but i have to ask like you guys did some pitches right so did you what were some reactions from the pitches like i gotta believe yeah. that somebody's like i could just see the the, the, the pale white skin yeah. of a of somebody like just all the all the blood flip coming out of their bodies like you guys are yeah. like, you're not serious are you, are you this is a like, joke <laughs> we, we're pretty good at pitching our ideas because we're also like self-deprecating at, and like totally ready for the crit- the criticism you know right, to a certain right, degree right. and like right. and and sort of have the attitude of like uh you know if if you don't get it it's not for you don't please don't please don't give us money like i don't want <laughs> you what a great pitch uh, you know regretting this or you know just every draft and every screening like not getting it uh but but it was hard yeah um and it took like someone with a weird sense of humor like Miranda like um to say yes that got the ball rolling and then uh I will say something we discovered later that really helped was uh we we got the band Manchester Orchestra uh Robert and Andy to start making some songs for us when we were developing it We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Before it was even officially greenlit. And then we started pitching it with music and we were able to pitch the opening scene and press play and just start describing it as you heard this like gorgeous music. And it was such a different feeling in the room where like people were suddenly like, what the hell's going on? This music is making me emotional and it's so beautiful. And what you're describing is profane and stupid and should not, I should not give you money. And, right. But I think it helped that really helped crack the pitch in that case, just to be able to like, you know, play music, um, which is something we still do sometimes. But. Yeah. The, the other two things that really helped us was the fact that um two things happened while we were in the middle of trying to get funding and trying to get actors. The first thing that happened was we somehow got into the Sundance Institute, like the Sundance Screenwriters Lab for this mm-hmm. screenplay. And we were like, what? What? What are like, who at the Sundance, like, you know, right. you think about Sundance, you think about uh, so many other movies and not Swiss Army Man. That's not what you think about when you think about Sundance. But, you know, to their credit, they, they saw something really earnest in our work and they saw our past work and saw that we were trying new things. And, you know, what is Sundance, if not a place to uh, foster new voices? And so they brought us in and it was incredibly um, creatively just um, exactly what we needed at that point in our careers, um, regardless of, of whether or not the movie was going to get made. It was so healing. And it also showed us that there was a place for us in this industry in the way that we were talking about at the beginning, where we were talking mm-hmm. about maybe we don't belong here. It's like, oh, the Sundance Institute was one of the first places that we went to. We're like, oh, this beautiful creative 
um, environment can exist and it does exist and, and we should be chasing after this. And so that was really great, but we got the, the stamp of approval from Sundance, which made suddenly our farting corpse movie. People had to like really lean forward and, and, and process. Right. And then and like, Robert Redford said this, so this is a good movie. Exactly. Yeah. Robert Redford's stamp of approval. And then <laughs> oddly enough, while we were at the Sundance labs, we were so fed up with, um, how intellectual we had become we had been talking way too much about um themes and characters and and all this stuff that um is really important but after a while as filmmakers who want to be on set who want to be making things and and, and really expressing things that you can't even put into words it was very frustrating and we happened to get a song in from columbia records from one of our our, our commissioner buddies brian younce who um who works at columbia he sent it over and it was turned down for what and he was like what do you guys want to do with the song? It's kind of a wild song. And so we were like, this is perfect. Let's turn off our brains and let's do the opposite of what we've been doing. No theme, no character, no, just like pure id. Let's create something so wild and so frenetic and beautiful and strange. Um, and then basically we'll, we'll, basically we'll hold nothing back and we'll, 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 we'll say to the, the label, like, I dare you to let us make this. <laughs> and if they actually let us make it, then we'll have to go make it. And so we did that. We put that online, instantly a viral hit. And so we got the viral hit. We got the Sundance stamp of approval. And suddenly making the Farting Corpse movie made a lot of sense to, you know, certain investors. Uh, obviously, we still scared away a lot of people. But it, yeah, it, we, we were really lucky. No, it's it's it was the right place, right time, right product. And also the thing is, and a lot of people might not see this in your films, but there's so much emotion in the characters. There's like, you know, in everything everywhere, you're you know, you're tearing up. You know, like it's it's yeah, yeah, they're hot dog fingers, but <laughs> there is so much emotion behind what's going on. Same thing with Swiss Army Man. Like you'll tear up watching that mm -hmm. film. So it's not just insanity for insanity or gag for gag's sake. You know, there's there's heart behind it. And that's what stick, makes you because, you know, I can't say anybody can come up with the farting corpse idea, but <laughs> in the wrong hands, it's a movie about a farting corpse. Totally. But yeah. And what you guys did, you elevated it. And that's because what Sundance saw in your work. You're like, oh, there's more here than just the gag. The gag yeah. is just super interesting. <laughs> no one's ever <laughs> seen this before. And that's what's really beautiful about what you guys are doing. Um, now, totally. I have to add. Thank you. Now, you guys, uh, you know, we all, as directors, we're all on the onset. And there's always that one day on set, if not every day, but always that one day specifically, the, the entire world is coming crashing down around you. The world is coming to an end. You're not going to make your day. You're going to lose the actor. The sun is gone. The camera fell in the lake. <laughs> what was that day for you on Swiss Army Man? And how did you overcome it? Uh, we probably have different answers for this, but I, I, yeah, you go first. Yeah. We shot Swiss Army Man in like five weeks and a bunch of, we had a bunch of travel days in there too. So it wasn't even like five days of shooting per week. Mm -hmm. um, and uh Week four, we did four night shoots in a row and it was like all the bear stuff and like, uh, and uh, we just burned the candle at both ends and started going insane. And I thought Every, I was everyone, at, everyone was getting sick. Yeah, I thought I was like, at yeah. rock bottom at that point. And then I got sick after that as we traveled up to Eureka with a small crew to get all the beautiful um, Redwood stuff. And so like on day one or two of wandering around the Redwoods, uh that morning Quan like wanted to rewrite the scene again 
we were constantly rewriting while shooting on that one, which is not a good idea. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so like, and he was like, we don't have time to rewrite it. Oh, well, but it's a bad scene. Let's go shoot it. And, and I was sick and sad and demoralized. And that was how we started our day. And then we went out into the woods and while shooting it, I just started feeling like I was going to pass out, like just, and like hopeless. And we were just, it was kind of a boring scene where the camera, we're just doing co normal coverage. But it, and I was like, the movie's going to be a disaster. It's not going to work. That's not going to work. Dan hates it. I don't even know how to give notes on this scene. And I like walked away and walked up to my producer, Jonathan Wong. And I was like, I don't think I, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm going to make it. And he's like, what's up? <laughs> Apparently I said something like, I said something where he, he interpreted it as like, Daniel thinks he's going to die. <laughs> but I thought what I was saying was that I couldn't finish the movie, but I'm not sure what, if I was speaking English, I was like, I was you were like, gone. Pretty, you were gone. Yeah, I was like yeah. close to a mental breakdown. Uh, and that scene turned out great. It's great. <laughs> the writing was fine. It, like in the edit, we like our Matt Hannum edited it together and we watched it. And we're like, what the fuck? It's good. <laughs> that day was so sad. I guess I don't have to direct. I guess the key to directing is Just to walk uh, away, is to walk away and get sad. And then, it, <laughs> and then it'll turn out good. But, uh, but yeah, we did. We learned a lot of lessons on that movie about how to manage morale. You yeah. know, and, mm -hmm. and and that that's a huge deal on a feature that like mm -hmm. it's not just about do you have a good idea and a good plan. It's about like are you taking care of yourself? Are you taking uh, care of your crew? Are you yeah. taking mm -hmm. care of your crew? And and we uh and we left that one being like woo, a lot of room for improvement. You know, like it got yeah too hard. Um, my my quick story is uh, last day or sorry, the last scene of the movie is everyone on the beach. I'm sorry, spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen it. There's a beach. There's a beach. Everyone's on the beach. Um, there's, and... there's some there's some beans. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we, uh, you know, a small budget, no lighting equipment, nothing. We just, literally, we, we had to wait for, you know, the 15, 20 minutes of magic hour to shoot that yeah. entire scene. And... Uh, it was Radcliffe's birthday, I remember, and Radcliffe really wanted to lie down in the water, even though it was freezing cold. Like we were like, Daniel, we have um, we have a dummy, and he's like, No, 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 I want to be here. I want to like, I think it's important for Paul to see me here to be part of this. And we're like, okay, great. And so we 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 neurotically blocked it all out and tried to like come up with a plan to shoot that whole scene, which is like you know. 12, 13, it feels like 12 setups, right? It's like everyone has their own Spielberg um, push-in um, on, on like in the medium shot, plus three or four wides, plus like a couple of very specific shots between uh, Radcliffe and Paul. Anyways, it was a lot of shots and we had to do it in 15 minutes. Right. And so we literally, we just- An hour. I think we, I'd say we have an hour. <laughs> no, I feel like we once, by the time we started shooting, it was like half an hour and we basically just didn't cut. We went, we basically, we, we made the plan and uh, Larkin um, was operating for the whole movie, our DP. And so he knew exactly like when, uh, where to move from each setup. And so we'd be like, okay, we got it. Next setup. Okay, we got it. Next up. Okay, we got it. Next up. Okay, now everyone, all the actors get ready. You're going to shoot your one shot and we're just going to do a couple takes back and forth and we'll move on to the next person. And like I said, I don't know how many times we cut, but we really did, like there was no time to slate, you know? We just went yeah. like, okay, now you're close up. Okay, now you're close up. Now you're close up. And then we missed uh, the last final interaction between Paul and, um, um, and Daniel um, as the sun was setting. We we cranked the our 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 ISO was cranked wide like like as high like, as possible. Real bad, and Larkin was just muttering, "We have to stop." We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. 
And now back to the show. Yeah, we'll just stop. it was so grainy. This. And like, and we're like, shit, I think we might have lost. Uh, we, I don't know. I don't know if we got our finale. And, and it was just like a really just scary feeling to mm-hmm. have just to be like, we didn't nail the ending. Um, and, and, you know, we like, like Shannon was saying, we were kind of already like, burnt out um from the process of making this film so that that was definitely like a really, that was week two yeah that was yeah that was <laughs> of five yeah. yeah that was the end of week two yeah um so that was really scary and you know we ultimately f- uh, finagled some some or was it week one because maybe on friday of, I, I sort of remember the schedule in my head yeah. but it was fast yeah. i remember us yeah. being like oh my god we just started and now we're shooting the ending yeah and we're um, exhausted and we're exhausted yeah. and like yeah i guess it's a short film we yeah so we're just learning a lot of the limits of of our you know of our budget versus our ambition but we've been i will say like you know i hear stories of, of film sets gone wrong mm-hmm. and i've and it makes me feel so lucky that like like it's uh, it's been hard and things have gone wrong but just because it's just because it was ambitious not because of like we've been so lucky that you know um we haven't worked with assholes and that like we've had good producers and that we've headed off a lot of the really disastrous types of things that can go wrong before, you know, we got to set. Yeah. Um, and so we're, yeah, we're such lucky filmmakers that, you know, um, that these are our horror that stories. That these are yeah, our horror stories. Like, I was tired and it was hard. Yeah. You know? it's, not, it's not like Coppola and Apocalypse Now. You're not in the jungle for three years with a gun to your head. You know, so it's not, no, you exactly. know, putting things into perspective. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That, no, those are, no, I, I feel both. I feel both of those. I, I love the best directing tip. Just walk away depressed and it'll come out fine. <laughs> weird i mean we did so, kind of think so sorry man there was a part a, a, a masochistic part of us that were like it's about a guy kind of losing his mind in the woods uh, i think that might happen to us while we do this but maybe that'll make it an interesting movie this will yeah. be our apocalypse now you know? i was about to say this is very apocalypse yeah. now of you yeah, guys exactly. very, very method directing it's very yeah, uh, yeah. i don't aspire to to do for that yeah now i like like having fun so speaking of fun i I just was i had the pleasure of watching everything everywhere all at once uh a couple a week ago i think at this point week a week and a half ago i saw it and as i'm sitting there watching it in the theater um i'm just looking at it and going i'm so glad this is in existence i'm so glad somebody put this out into our our world over our universe and then hot dog fingers show up and I'm like, oh my God, I love this film. Um, mm-hmm. There's hot dog fingers. I have to ask, man, how, in, it's, it's such a beautiful, and I, I joke, but it's such a beautifully done movie and and I'm not smoking your butt again, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> We're going to make that a thing, aren't we? <laughs> oh, no, no, that's, I promise you, there'll be some YouTube comments that's saying, no. <laughs> smoking a butt. No, yeah. um, no, but in all honesty though, I'm watching it and it's, you know, Michelle Yeoh is a, is a goddess. Um, data from the goonies yeah. oh my god what a powerhouse actor i was not yeah. I, when i saw yeah. him i was like oh look it's data from goonies oh he got work fantastic you know yeah. that's why that's what first thought and then i'm like mm-hmm. holy crap he's really good yeah and don't then, underestimate data don't no dude data. like <laughs> when i heard his voice when i heard his voice for the first yeah. time like oh, it's data he's grown like i just because I've seen the Goonie a thousand times. Of course, yeah. yeah. Then Jamie Lee Curtis, and and then just the whole cast of, uh, that you put together. It is such a beautiful ballet of insanity, mm-hmm. um, and Thank emotion, you. 
it's it's remarkable how in and I have to ask you the same question again. How in God's green earth did you guys come up with this idea? Yeah, I mean, I feel like uh, we could do a whole podcast one day about where ideas come from and how it's a mystery and what is the human brain and how does neuroscience work and right, right. the synthesis of the, the neurons firing that make us giggle. And then at what point do, do we then test that against the culture to see if it's something worth putting out there as opposed to just an inside joke and right. how much of that is like uh, intent and how much of that is pure luck or just like subconscious, you know, uh, ness. Right. And I right, think like, like, like we're, we're, we're all discovering that genius doesn't come from individual ideas. Don't really come from individuals. We're all just conduits for this like bigger um, mimetic battle that's happening all around us. We're going to get philosophical with your very simple question. Exactly. Absolutely. Oh no, I love it. I love it. So you're channeling, you're channeling. We're channeling from the ether, from the ether. It's all from the ether. And I think the only thing that makes us different. And I think the thing that is our superpower is we say, Yes. We say yes to the ideas yeah. that, that we haven't seen that sound unproducible. Yeah, we We're say like, yes to the, to the bad ideas. We say yes to the things that should not be made, mostly because <laughs> the moment we tell ourselves, oh, this shouldn't be made, we, we question go, that why? impulse. Like, why not? Hold, hold on. But this, did it resonate is, with me? This is interesting. Yeah. Oh, if, if it sounds unproducible, that means no one else is going to beat us to it. <laughs> <laughs> There's also that. There's uh, no competition. There's no competition. Exactly, yes. <laughs> there is like a... I was just thinking about the philosophy of ideas and there's, there's this book impro by Keith Johnstone. It's like an improv book that I read in acting school. Uh, And he has a chapter about creativity and about how, you know, uh, effortless it is for the human mind, but it's hard for a lot of people because it's trained out of us, like our school system and our culture teaches Mm -hmm. us how to curate and focus and ignore, you know, playful ideas, but that like, it's, uh, it's like, if you don't do that, like if you talk to like hunter gatherer cultures and stuff, like it's creativity is like effortless and it's everywhere. And, and that there's, and he loves, there's some anecdote about some, like um, it's like an Inuit tribe or something that like uh, one of those tribes that has, you know, 20 words for snow. And uh, they um, think that there is a sculpture inside of every rock that is, that, that is, that has to be discovered not that there's a sculptor who's really good at it. It's like, and they're like, so instead of being like, Dan Kwan is a really good sculptor, the way that the tribe talks about it, apparently, is they're like, there's a lot of weird rocks around lately. Like what's with all the, all the rocks have some really interesting animals inside lately. And that I always thought it was such a beautiful counterpoint to how we normally talk about, you know, creativity. What we're saying is- And not not to spoil anything, but you know, there might be a rock or two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty weird rocks. Yeah. yeah. They're the rocks, pretty weird rocks. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I feel like to sum it up, I, I feel like every idea we had in this movie, a 10-year-old could have come up as with, you know, mm-hmm. like it's it's all it's you know, hot dog hands and, and talking rocks. It's like there's nothing special about any of this stuff. It's just the fact that we no. we chased it, you know, mm-hmm. and I think I think we were like there's a, a, a sort of naivety there where mm-hmm. we like foolishly chase after these things or our real skill isn't yeah. coming up with weird ideas it's convincing um people to invest millions of dollars and to <laughs> risk their entire uh, artistic reputation uh, oh, that's absolutely out those weird ideas yeah you so. guys should do a master class on how to convince people to give you money to do oh, insane hey. ideas because you guys <laughs> are the masters at this because right. not once but twice with two like again the pitch how is the how do you pitch this like it's such a visual thing yeah and and how do you attract the cast that you do like it's right. 
that's the other thing. It's not like you guys are going off and doing it with some unknown actors. You're bringing some of the top actors around to yeah. do this. Like Michelle Yeoh was Michelle Yeoh. How she has not been a lead in a movie outside of Hong Kong is beyond me. Yeah, like I yeah. could, I, when I heard that, I was like, really? I know really? we we felt the same way. We were like, what? Yeah, we did not know that until I'm the like, press tour. Yeah, I'm like, what? She's she's so she's she's a goddess. She's amazing what she does and how she how she played this part was so beautifully. I mean, it's so beautifully directed and, 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 and everything It's just, it's, it's just, an, it, I'm going back as I'm talking to you, the images are flying back into my head, hot dog mm. fingers. I, I still have nightmares by the way, about the hot dog <laughs> fingers. When I first saw oh. them, I was, I was just like, why has no one ever done this before? And I go, I know why it's disturbing as hell. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. It is, no, but in a wonderful, beautiful way, it's like, oh my but, God. You know, is that Jimmy Lee Curtis? Is that yeah, Jimmy I know, right? That so with hot dog fingers. But to our earlier point, like you say, why? How, how come no one has done this before? Ever since our movie has come out, it's only been about a month now. But yeah. people have been sharing um, past work that feel like somehow we ripped it off or whatever that we've never seen before. So like, there's been two or three different instances where people have sent us um, hot dog finger scenes from other oh, movies I'm that sure. we've never I'm seen. I'm or sure. like, you know, there was a, a children's book. My friend sent me a children's book uh, where there were just two talking rocks on a hill. And I was like, this is amazing. You know, like it's all there. It's all in, in the ether. It, it's, it's, just, it's, yeah. it's, it's how you cook it. You know, it's how you it's how you make the stew. That's that's what no, really no pun intended. No pun intended yeah. with the hot. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, look, I mean, it's not that it's not that we haven't seen that before. I can't remember seeing it. But like you see, like a movie like uh, I forgot one of the spy kids had guys made of thumbs. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. You know, and like giant, yeah, you know, like it's not that, but the way you guys, the fingers and the way the movement and stuff was Mm -hmm. just so, and I don't want to make this a podcast about the hot dog fingers, but it's just such (laughs) a, just an amazing visual. How did you guys do the quality of visual effects on such a low budget? Because this is- This is not a hundred million dollar Avengers. Well, a hundred million dollars is a catering budget for Avengers. But yeah. um, <laughs> how did you guys do such amazing? Because the visual effects are remarkable. They really are. Wow. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, uh, you know, coming up in music videos, we did a lot of our own effects at first, and then, like I said, we went. But that a was lot. kind of our our calling card. Like labels would reach out to us, be like, "Hey, do you have any cool visual effect ideas that are cheap?" Right. Oh, because- you're those guys who can do like, yeah. like tons of effects for no money because you just do them yourself. Uh, and that was our our thing. And then we learned a lot about um, practical effects, mostly by working with Jason Kisvarde, our production designer, um, and uh, and kind of brought all those and those tricks to this movie. Um, and so a lot of it's like not that fancy, you know, and and while writing, we would write gags that we knew could play to our strengths. So we were very rarely writing things that were going to require like uh, a, a huge VFX team to strategize and bring on 3D generalists to design this, to figure mm-hmm. that out, you know. And instead we were like, oh, no, no, it's, it's all going to be practical. And when it's not, 
we know which tricks we're going to use and they're not too hard yeah. uh, to pull off. Um, yeah, we're using a lot of the same techniques that, you know, the filmmakers in the 80s were, make, were using. It's the only difference is in the 80s. Or the what, 20s. Or even you the like 20s. Oh, yeah. Lumiere, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a trip to the moon. A trip to the uh-huh. moon, like just like the, the, the match cuts with the with the poof of smoke. Like we're, we're just using those same exact techniques, except the difference now is um, we don't have to do 20 takes to get the practical effect right. We can do one and a half good takes, uh, okay takes, and then we fix it in post with 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 our very, um, you know, rudimentary um, skills as After Effects artists. And so we're kind of cheating every way we can um, to make uh, the illusion uh, of of these effects work uh, for as little effort and as little money as possible, which is why I think, you know, pe- people say like, people been talking about the fact that we had about like five to 600 visual effects shots and it was done with a team of like five to seven people. We say seven because we're also including ourselves in that number. And there were a couple of people who came on for a few weeks, but the yeah. like core team was pretty small, like a really small the core team, team was of like our four friends. Four people. And we all just like had synced hard drives and we would just like, we did it all in After Effects. Uh, and I think some of it's very impressive what the guys pulled off, you know, and, and some of it was very ambitious, like the kind of bagel stuff. The bagel stuff, uh, yeah. But oh. then the other kind of secret weapon is that uh, Quan has great aesthetic taste and, and, and with a small team and it all being in After Effects, it was possible for like Dan to push certain shots over the finish line. And, and instead of giving like 20 emails to try to refine it, he could just be like, great, give me the project file, open it up. I'm going to spend an hour or two. That's exactly how I want it to feel. We're done. Um, but like, we we're, didn't have to do all the effects, but we also got to put our fingerprints on it. Um, right, there's an right, efficiency right. there. There's yeah, an efficiency there. So um, nice. Because I think one of the reasons why so many um, visual effects in movies look the same is because they, they there's so many layers um, of communication between the director and the visual effects artist now um, that you kind of, as a director, you go into these post houses and you're not really allowed to play that much. You're not allowed to explore. And that's really frustrating as directors who love visual effects. And so this was a, a way for us to be able to have our cake and eat it. We can we can do it for less money and we get to have our fingerprints all over it and, and really play with the style of, of how it's gonna feel. But people who are great at visual effects um, uh, would listen to your comment about our effects looking incredible and they would be like, no, they don't. <laughs> yeah. Cause like well, no. a lot of it's like real, real janky, but, real janky, but, but we think there's like a charm to it. And, and it's about energy, not about like pause the pause, the frame. That's a perfect shot, you know, kind of. Aesthetics. No, I've been, I've been a VFX producer, a VFX supervisor, a lot of indie projects. So I, I mean, I understand you're janky, but it's perfect for what you're trying to do. It's not, yeah. it doesn't have to be Thanos throwing a moon at somebody like that's not what that's about and that's why i'm like even on that budget level it still looks phenomenal and you're so caught up with the kinetic energy of the scenes i mean the bagel stuff and all i mean you just get caught up with it you're just like you're in because if i'm looking at oh that 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 comp was just they just would have blurred that a little bit more if they could have just comped that a little Mm -hmm. bit better or thrown some no i wasn't there i was in the story so yeah. with that, I'm sure if I go back and analyze it, I'm sure I'm sure you guys go back and analyze it. Like, dude, I did that on $200 million movies. I'm like, did that, how did that get through? Like, yeah. obviously, <laughs> see, that's a really bad. When my wife is looking at a movie and going, that's a bad green screen. And it's like a $200 million movie. I'm like, oh, they've screwed up if she figured it out. 
<laughs> so um, I have a few more. I have last couple questions to ask all my guests. What advice would you give a filmmaker trying to break into the business today? Uh, uh, ch- adjust your goals, bro. Breaking in, uh, <laughs> breaking in shouldn't be your goal because a lot of people break in and then they're sad and they make the world a worse place and they make like upsetting, weird content and they. Uh, Are you, you talking know, about us? Talking about us, You're right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, look what happens but, when you follow your dreams, everybody. Look. Yeah, it turns out I'm cynical. This was all a front. This, this <laughs> all these nice jokes. Fuck you, kids. Uh, no, no, no. no. Uh, that's amazing. No, I, I, I like to say that, like, um, if you love making movies, chase that feeling, find people that you love making movies with and, and, and maybe you'll end up getting paid to do it and, and, uh, find a niche in there and that'll be great. Or maybe not. And you'll still be happy and, and, and having the therapeutic, beautiful experience of making and sharing artwork, you know, um, and, uh, that, uh, breaking in can sometimes uh, be the worst thing for you, you know, um, if you don't get to make what you love or with people that you love doing it with. Um, and so it'll happen if you just make stuff you love, uh, you know, you'll find your niche in the world, you know, and that niche might mean your local film festival. And that's dope. Awesome. You know, yeah. or it might be, uh, um, a twenty four, and that's cool too. <laughs> that, and, and that and that's fine too. And, and let's just give a shout out to A twenty four. Thank you for allowing and helping movies like this get put out into the world because there just really isn't, yeah, really isn't that there isn't another A twenty four. You know, there is. They're fighting the good fight, getting tricking people into watching provocative, <laughs> challenging things. Uh, right, it's, it's, so fant- it's fantastic. Now, what is the lesson that took you guys the longest to learn, whether in the film industry or in life? longest to learn hmm. i'm trying to think of lessons i'm still learning right now maybe mm-hmm. something i'm trying to figure out is um this balance of of um it's, it's more than work life because i think work life is like that's that's a given everyone has to tackle that um but it's like it's uh, from a leadership position, because, you know, again, I never wanted to be a filmmaker. I never wanted to be a director. I never wanted to be a leader. And so a lot of this feels like it's been put upon me in a way that like makes me very uncomfortable and I'm unsure of. Um, but um, the balance of, of being a, a leader who is also, um, who's just as um, concerned with the final product as um, the process, is something I think I'll always be learning um, and always um, reflecting on. Um, I think with this movie, we got really close to a perfect process. Um, in 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 that in the fact that like it's the most ambitious thing we've ever done. It was is like foolishly um, <laughs> foolishly ambitious for how much money and time we got for uh, to make it, and yet it was the most fun, the most loving, the most um, just gracious environment. Um, and I, like, I, I really, I really think it was like, <laughs> it was so much easier than Swiss Army Man, even though, you know, technically it, like it's, it's, it's like exponentially harder in, in every way um, mm-hmm. as, as far as production goes. But because we went in with the, the goal of creating a, an environment that was just really fulfilling and, um, you know, 
all pushed towards this idea of letting everyone who walked onto a set um, be able to show off their best version of themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was like one of our goals was to empower people to just, you know, become the best version of themselves on our set. And it, it was so fulfilling and so fun. And I have so many great memories of the shoot in a way that I can't say the same for our, our previous work. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And I think this is something I think we'll always be chasing after because if we can have it all, if we can be uh, ambitious and, um, you know, creative directors who also just build beautiful environments for people to exist in and to create in, like that, that is going to be such a beautiful, um, a beautiful thing to prove to our industry, you know, know, to myself and to our crew, but also Mm -hmm. to the rest of the industry. That's a beautiful beautiful answer, by the way. That's a beautiful (laughs) answer. That was a really wonderful answer. And last question, three of your favorite films of all time. Oh, this is always hard. So hard. (laughs) I like giving different answers, you know. You go first. Or we'll say, you say one, I'll say one. We'll go back. Uh, I love, I love a crazy documentary. Uh, Love American movie, the movie about the Midwestern boys trying to make their movie. Not available for rent digitally anywhere for some reason. Really? Got to figure this out, but. Oh my God. (laughs) Um, The first thing that my brain went to was Magnolia, probably. Mm -hmm. That's that's one I just keep returning back to because it's a movie that does everything wrong and uh, it feels so right and it doesn't matter, you know, like, and I'm like, I wanted to be chasing that as a filmmaker for a long time. Just that feeling um, that I got when I watched Magnolia for the first time. Uh, my brain just went to like, uh, Moonlight is insane. It's just like the hype. It pays off. It's great. It's just so <laughs> beautiful. And like, it was like at the right place at the right time where like our culture was trying to like quit being so homophobic. And like, it was like, here's how like here like empathize with this person like and it's just a hundred percent successful and it was like just like this like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. epically important thing for our culture and for me you know mm-hmm. to just like to fall in love with this love story and, and for it's it to my heart yeah it's insane and for it to win best picture yeah and then for it to go win best picture and be like andy films alive yeah <laughs> um i'll go back to one of my childhood favorites, which was, um, it's probably the movie I've seen more times than any other movie. It's Groundhog's Day. Um, Such, it's, it, that's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. It's, yeah, it's a masterpiece. And it, it became like a spiritual guide for this movie because it was a film about about nihilism, about the, the, the treasury of, of, of existence. Um, but wrapped up in a really fun comedy and and they and the mm. movie pulls off both those things wonderfully and i was like i want to do that with our movie whatever we do with this film it has to pull off both those things it has to be so much fun and so philosophical and 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 sincere and so yeah Groundhog mm-hmm. Day. <laughs> long answers only mm. um princess mononoke oh uh, i love that movie yeah just blew my mind when i was a kid and then i've been i've been thinking about it lately uh and just how like brilliant like the 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 ambiguity of good and evil is in that and how important it was for me as a kid to like to chew on that you know when like we're usually fed these kind of like violence is the answer beat the bad guy stories like just go blow up their building um was like is the moral of you know a lot of 
you know, action adventure movies. And, and it's like, no, this one's confusing. It's about people with different interests. And also you're going to fall in love with a little wolf girl. Uh, yes. slash, slash want to her. And that was very confusing and exciting for um, me as a kid. <laughs> for, for my last answer, I don't want to say this because it's so obvious, but I, I have to say it just because I, I need to pay tribute to how much it, the movie means to me. Mm-hmm. Um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Spot Mind. Oh my yeah. God, I love that Never heard of it. <laughs> Um, never heard of it. Who's in it? No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> no, that's, I mean, Gondry is a master. I, w- I wish he would be making more movies now. I want him, I, somebody please listen and give him a budget. Let him do whatever he wants. Uh, oh, pair he, him back up with Charlie. He yeah, like, him when he does Charlie. whatever he wants, he, he spirals yeah. a little. Like, I think I would if I didn't have Dan. He's, yeah, it's he's, good to have a balance. But yeah, like, yeah. Eternal Sunshine is just, <laughs> it, yeah, it's, it's the movie that like, um, that really, I feel like it changed me as a person and made me understand, yeah, my world, my the, my place in the world in a completely different way. It was, I think it was the first time I, I experienced um, metamodernism in the wild or this this idea of trying to get beyond postmodernism, like post-postmodernism. And it, it was so cathartic and healing for me to see that um, play out in a story for the first time. So it, that, yeah, it's incredible. And also it's just so much fun. Mm-hmm. Like the filmmaking of it is just so much oh. fun. And obviously we, we stole so much from Gondry when we started making music videos. And even in our features, you can see his fingerprints in it as well. It's, it's all there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Guys, it has been an absolute pleasure and honor talking to you guys. So much fun. Uh, con- continued success. I, I tell everybody to please go watch everything everywhere all at once. It is, it is a, is a brilliant piece of cinema and I'm so glad it exists in the world. Thank you guys for doing you. Thank you for being a conduit for the insane uh, uh, and bring it into our universe, my friends. Thank you so much. Thank you for thank having you. us. This was fun. Yeah. <laughs> I want to thank the Daniels so much for coming on the show and sharing their knowledge bombs with the tribe today. Thank you so much, guys. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, including how to watch everything, everywhere, all at once, head over to the show notes at IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash 576. And if you haven't already, please head over to FilmmakingPodcast.com, subscribe, and leave a good review for the show. It truly helps us out a lot. Thank you again so much for listening, guys. As always, keep that hustle going. Keep that dream alive. Stay safe out there. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com.